Good morning. Luke, verse 5 through 7, 57 through 58, verse 67 through 79. In the time of Herodes, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Avia. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, but they were childless, and they were both very old. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard, and they shared her joy. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of, our, of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. When it comes to reading scripture, most of us practice what's called selective reading. In other words, we skim over big sections of the Bible to get to the parts that we know and love. Two-thirds of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke are typically that kind of flyover country. And we miss a lot that way. You may have noticed at the bottom of the scripture that Joel read, the last screen, you could see that it was, it was edited. I had left out massive amounts of verses because the whole story that I'm preaching from is just terrifically long. Nobody would sit still. For, well, maybe you would, but I, I wouldn't want to count on it. So this morning, for the first Sunday of Advent, we're going to slow down. I'm going to invite you to slow down with me, our holiday pursuit, and focus first on a man and a woman, and a baby, whom we usually do not see in the starlight of Bethlehem. You heard Joel introduce the man and the woman, but I'll give you their names again, and we'll talk about a little of their story. Zechariah and Elizabeth were an elderly Jewish couple living in the first century in Israel. They didn't have children, and I, I love the word but. <laughs> they didn't have, they were childless, but 
they were righteous. Like, you know, there might be a question. Well, there was a question. People always thought if you didn't have children, there was something, you know, you'd done something wrong. Well, the Bible makes it very clear they were righteous in the sight of the Lord. Zechariah was a priest. Well, depending on how they're counted, there were in those days about 18,000 priests in Israel and one temple. So the priests were organized in a rota of divisions, and each division served twice a year. They had lots of duties, of course, and one of the duties that the priests did was to go into the sanctuary of the temple and clean the altar of incense and then offer fresh incense. That duty was considered to be quite special, and a a personal priest, an individual priest, could do that only once in his lifetime. That was so special. So Zechariah was getting older. He had never been able to do that. But finally, when his division was called up to duty, he was given the honor of that once-in-a-lifetime function. So here is this old man, probably trembling, maybe not only from age, but also because he was in the very presence of holiness. He's sacrificing, he's praying, serving as a mediator between God and man. And into the room comes an angel and blows the whole day wide open. My four-year-old granddaughter stopped playing for a few minutes a couple days ago and walked right over to me and got right up in my face and said, are angels real you might be asking the same thing. You can ask me later how I answered her. (laughs) But if we really wanted to know, we would ask Zechariah because among the very few individuals in Scripture who gets one, he receives an angelic visit. And the angel says to him, needless to say, he was stunned in fear, and the angel says what angels always say, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been answered Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. Now, you almost certainly know that later in this same chapter, or at least you know later in the book of Luke, later in this same chapter, a very young woman named Mary is going to be visited by the very same angel, and he's going to give her the very same message. When Scripture says an angel of the Lord shows up, sometimes in the Old Testament, that individual is indistinguishable from God himself. It's difficult to tell. In this case, we know that definitely it is literally, he's literally a messenger from God. And in Scripture, angelic announcements and visitations almost always follow a pattern. The person is going along, doing their own thing, and suddenly the angel shows up. And of course, the person is afraid. So the angel reassures the individual, be not afraid, don't be afraid. And so the person calms down and the angel gives the divine message he was sent to give. And then almost always there's some response from the recipient. So let's take a look at how Zechariah responded. Can you read Greek? That's not point, (laughs) that's not, that's not punctuated, that's not punctuated very well, but it's good. Zechariah's response was that. That's literally what's in the, the scripture that we have. And it means, how can I be sure of this? Now, sometimes you're going to read translations. Indeed, some of the translations you may have on your, on your phone or, or you may have in your hands, they're going to sound like 
Zachariah's response is different from that, but can you put that, that slide back up again? The response says, how can I be sure of this? That's what he says to the angel. Now, he's talking to an angel, get it? So, just for comparison purposes, let's zip ahead a few verses and look at Mary and how Mary responded. Mary's response, not the same Greek, how will this be? I looked at this long and hard because I read a bunch of commentaries and not many people spent a lot of time on it. I think it's terrifically important. Sometimes Mary's response is translated, how can this be? It doesn't really say that. It says, how will this be? Do you hear the difference? You see, the words that Zechariah used to respond to the angel were, they have a connotation of challenge, of skepticism. He's saying essentially, this is a paraphrase, what proof can you give me to verify your words? Because everything I know from nature tells me something to the contrary. But Mary, on the other hand, says, essentially, I believe what you're saying, but everything I know from nature makes me wonder how it's going to happen. Mary, in other words, asks for an explanation. Zachariah asks for evidence. The difference between Zachariah's response and Mary's response is the difference between unbelief and wonder. Pastor John Piper calls this the right way and the wrong way to respond to God's promise. Zachariah's response was the wrong way. When he insisted to Gabriel, I am too old to father a child. This is Zachariah in the green, sort of a snarky green. Gabriel says... He says, I am, and in the Greek, it's a, I have it underlined because it's kind of an emphatic, like, I am too old to father a child, Zechariah says. And Gabriel, <clears throat> I can just see the angel kind of pulls himself up, and he says, I am Gabriel. And I love the next thing he says, I stand in the presence of God. Nobody stands in the presence. Gabriel stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to tell you this good news. Literally, the word is to evangelize to you. I love that. He just says... And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I believe Gabriel gets a little frosty with him. You don't, you don't say to Gabriel, you prove it, basically. That's what, that's what Zachariah said, prove it. And Gabriel says, I'm not in the proving business. I'm in the silencing business. Shut up. <clears throat> so on the biggest day of his life, in so many ways... Zechariah is reduced to silence. He had just been praying. That was his job. He was praying for a savior for Israel. He was maybe even praying for a son for himself. But when he gets the news that his prayer has been granted, he doesn't believe it. He doesn't trust God's power. So now he joins the prophets of Israel who have been silent for 400 years. And all around Zechariah, the sanctuary of the temple is silent. Because the one whose home had been the temple is now coming into the world with the cry of one son and then two. Subdued into silence, Zechariah finally hears, he finally receives in his mind all that Gabriel had said about this soon-to-be son. Gabriel had said, you are to call him John. Now that's important because 
in, Bi in the Bible, whenever God confers a name, he also confers an honor. John means the Lord is gracious, and it also means, same words mean, in whom there is grace. Translation is a very fluid business, truly. But the second thing that the angel says is that John is going to receive a unique grace because he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And there's a really cool way that we know that later in the story. Read the whole first chapter of Luke and you'll find out. He is going to receive a unique grace. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's born. And then by that Spirit, he will be great in the power of the Spirit, and he will be great, it says, in the sight of the Lord. And he will go forth ahead of the Lord. Now get the picture. Sort of like those heralds, you know, in medieval times that have the big long trumpets, you know, big long horns. Heralding. Heralding. Proclaiming God's grace and preparing the people for their Messiah King. You see, the angel Gabriel was evangelizing, and now John's going to be evangelizing because he's going to be telling them the good news. Zechariah, as he took that in and really began to think about it, he realized what God had said. Not only was there a Savior coming, but his son his son, John, was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He was the Elijah prophesied to come before the Lord. Zechariah realizes that in his old age, not only had he been blessed with a child that he never thought he would have, but that child is someone special. So when his time of service is completed, Zechariah goes home. And soon after, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And Elizabeth says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown this favor. For women who want children, I don't know, everybody doesn't want to be pregnant, of course, but for women who do, not to be able to have children is an just a, hor a horrible curse. The Old Testament translated usually is barren. It's a terrible translation. But that's the way she was called. So now, she is full. Well, of course, in due time, Elizabeth has the child. And eight days later, when it's time to circumcise and name him, the relatives want to name the baby Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, he is to be called John. Well, they didn't take her word for it. They had to go check with his dad. So they check with Zechariah, who is still not talking, by the way, still not able to talk. So he gets a writing. He says, give me a tablet. Tablet writes down, his name is John. And immediately, because he now has believed God and obeyed God, Zechariah gets speech and he begins to praise God. He begins to praise God. And that's the last we ever hear of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Because you see, the story was never about an old man and an old woman and a child they didn't think they would have. The story... The gospel story, the good news, of which they are only a part, is about another unexpected baby. The one who was the king. Listen again to the last words that we hear from Zechariah. Now, this is not his whole praise. If you want to read Zechariah's whole praise song, go to the first chapter of Luke. It is stunningly beautiful. Just so amazingly beautiful, but here's part of it. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, a descendant in the house of his servant David, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant that he made with Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. Now, wait a minute. I didn't put it all up on screen because I wanted you to focus on what I have underlined there. Look at the, look at the blue word. Can you see it blue? Who? Whom is he talking about? Who has come to his people and rescued them? Now, this is Zechariah talking. He isn't talking about his own son, John, eight days old. He is praising God for the young woman, Mary's son, Jesus, not yet born, descended from the house of David to save his people for himself. Like all prophets, Zechariah was speaking beyond what he knew. His own son could not possibly have fulfilled that prophecy. But the old priest knew that just as the story has a herald, the story has a hero. And then, as all of this begins to sink in, he's praising God and he's still getting enlightenment and revelation. And Zechariah begins to praise God for his own son. And he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, look at this great phrasing, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Isn't that beautiful? To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that just beautiful? This man spoke one of the most beautiful poems ever translated. And it's just an old man with a baby he's probably going to have a hard time handling because John turns out to be a real character. <laughs> and God's word, though, through Zachariah's lips, comes to pass. John did herald the coming Savior King. He preached repentance and baptism. And one day, I like to think the skies were open and blue, one beautiful day, John baptized Jesus himself. And he heard the voice of God calling Jesus, my beloved son. Jesus didn't get baptized for his own sins. He got baptized as a sign of who he was and of the power of repentance and salvation. John saw the Redeemer. But he didn't see the complete fulfillment of his prophecy because one day, John was put in prison and was put to death for speaking the truth. But his prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus, too, was put to death, not for speaking the truth, but for being the truth. On a cross, on a hill, Jesus died. He had come to his own, but his own received him not as the old King James Version says. He came to redeem and was raised up to die. Jesus, our Savior King, died to extend grace to us with his death. All of God's promises were fulfilled. Gabriel's visit to Zechariah marked the beginning of the Messianic age. All of God's promises would be fulfilled from that day on. 
the coming of Christ the King, the grace who graces all our lives.